Hello there. You're listening to the Box Office Show. I'm Ryan Hill. And I'm Dylan Johnson. Today we're going to talk about the box office numbers from last weekend and our box office predictions for this upcoming weekend. We will also be doing another edition of Guest Flick Picks. Today's guest is Alex Guerra. Thanks so much for coming on your debut on the show. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. I'm excited to, to be on. It's my first podcast, so kind of crazy. <laughs> well, welcome. And what is the film that you have selected for us to talk about? Uh, my selection is Robert Altman's California Split. Let's talk about some news. Of course, the strikes are still going on, both the WGA and SAG-AFTRA. And there was some controversy recently with Drew Barrymore, who was saying that she was going to bring her show back to television. Of course, her show is a talk show, but in some capacity, like during those monologues, there can still be writers that come on, or when there's certain segments, writers will be employed for that, um, at least for late night shows for the daytime shows i'm sure it's mm-hmm. somewhat similar that's what drew Barrymore does um, but she announced that she was going to be returning without the writers so seemingly just doing the talk show aspect um and then maybe riffing on the monologue or just not doing a monologue um, but wga was saying that this would be in violation of the strike so there was a whole hoopla about that and uh she was saying that she wanted to stick to her guns and bring in bring the show back so that other crew members, other people that needed work would be able to have that work. So Dylan, what are your thoughts on this? Because during the previous writer strike in 07 and 08, mm-hmm. some late night hosts did return after a couple months, Conan being the most notable example, because he would always have these like off the wall segments <laughs> created mm-hmm. just to fill time because he couldn't do those like writer based segments. So what are your thoughts on this Drew Barrymore issue? Do you think she's a scab for this? Oh, yeah. You don't cross the picket line. I'm not a fan. Uh, I feel like, didn't she Didn't she kick out two people who were wearing WGA pins from like her audience as well? <laughs> Is that true? I didn't know. Yeah, I think it's true. There was a, a news story I read where there were two people in her audience, or like studio audience, where she was recording, and they had WGA pins, and they got kicked out. So... Gotcha. Total scab, yeah, one hundred percent terrible. <laughs> also, if she's just riffing, if she's just like winging it, is it going to be good? Probably not, right? Like I can't <laughs> imagine the Drew Barrymore show holding up in terms of quality without any writers whatsoever. Right. Yeah, I feel like I'm a little more nuanced on that, just because of the precedent that was set in the previous strike with Conan doing it. I don't like, like if- the Conan did it either. I'm not gonna lie. No, I think it's... You don't cross the picket line, man. You don't do it's, it. It's not necessarily crossing picket line if they're not violating it by bringing on different writers. Like, they're not bringing on other writers. They're just saying, in the meantime, we're going to respect the rules of the strike, which is the writers are on strike. Yeah, but, but if you can, if you can the do show, the show... If you can do the show without the writers, why do you need the writers anyway? You're supposed well, to be on the quality, the quality, I think, speaks for itself in that end. So they're saying, like in order for us to have the quality of show that we want to have, we need to have the writers. But in the meantime, there are ways that we can still employ all the other people 
that are going to need to be on set while also not violating the strike and then not breaking any of the rules by like having written segments or anything like that. I feel like there is a space for that. So, and especially if it's like a talk show, I, most of it is supposed to be like non-scripted, just conversations with whatever, whoever the guest is. So that to me also is like, I mean, writers aren't needed for that. And if that's also the main part of the show, it's like the talk show aspect. It feels like the characterization of it being like, oh, a total scab and like going out of your way to break the, and this is, I'm just saying in general, like the Drew Barrymore thing, it seems like maybe she does, I don't know, have a vendetta against WGF. She's kicking out people with the pins. I'm saying in principle, the idea of a talk show specifically, which is largely non-scripted anyway, going on without the written segments, not like bring on other writers, but just saying we're going to forego the written elements until the writers are able to come back on once they have the deal that they should get. I feel like that should be okay. And I don't know what has changed since the previous strike, if there's been any changes in that contract that now makes it so that the talk shows shouldn't be allowed to do that. But just to me, I feel like it for those types of shows specifically, it should be permissible or at least shouldn't be like so frowned upon and demonized as it is uh with the Barrymore situation but again that's nah. particular to her own views on it and I don't know what she's got beef with the WGA or not but yeah nah I disagree I believe in solidarity there's other there's other platforms you can do as a talk show like you do a podcast this is just what all the late show hosts are doing this time instead of last time is now we right. have new platforms but what, do what, what they do. fundamentally is the difference between having your talk show take place on a podcast versus on television? I think fundamentally, if in either just, case, you're using a writer. I think fundamentally, the idea is different in the sense that the product that you were making that needed writers now no longer needs writers to be made. And it might be a lesser product, but it still hurts the argument that the writers are trying to make. Whereas if you are doing a late show, and you transition into doing a podcast when the writers are gone, then you're showing that, well, we can't keep doing the late show, but we're going to do this thing. So that at least there's some kind of content being made. Here is this podcast. Right, but that's still, show. I feel like that's still circumventing the whole like writer's issue anyway, but then it's also now not allowing yourself to employ all the other people that are needed for that show that are currently out of work. If you're still off the air. So, I mean, ideally, because Conan had done this where he like paid for the salaries of everyone that was on his show, on his payroll back in the 0708 strikes. But then at a certain point, after a few months, he did bring back the show again without the writers. Currently, Conan has a podcast. He doesn't really show anymore anyway, but he's like doing the podcast. Mm -hmm. Like, what would be the difference of him continuing to do the podcast? Well, the podcast doesn't have writers in the first place. Well, that's what I'm saying. But the talk show portion of a late night talk show also does not have any. Yeah, but the talk writers. show employs writers, and those writers were on strike, which is why the talk show was on hiatus. Yes, but it also employs a bunch of other people, which could remain employed if they only focus on the non-writer segments, which is what the main elements of the show is based around anyway, and which is what the podcast would be, which would just be those interviews. So I feel like if you're gonna go and do having, interviews anyway on same... a podcast, why not also just allow yourself to keep the people that are still on your payroll employed while still respecting the strikes by not doing writer-based segments or replacing those writers that are currently on strike. I feel like there's no real difference there. Like the writers are not getting employed in either way, but other people could be getting employed. That's what I would prefer. 
it's a difference of starting points. Like you have a talk show that employs writers and a podcast that doesn't like you can continue to do the podcast without the writers because you didn't have writers in the first place. That's, yes. that's the point. But I'm saying talk show did employ writers and the idea yes, that but not for those interview segments. So for if you're if you're just going to do the interview segments now for the show, then you should be square is what I'm saying. I don't agree. <laughs> but all right, we can move on. There was the Aquaman 2 trailer that came out recently. I didn't get a chance to catch it. Did you watch it, Ryan? I did. I saw the teaser trailer and was I was like, this is shockingly good. And I saw the full oh, trailer no. and I was like, this is bad. So, oh, okay. Never there mind. you go. All right. <laughs> now we can do our box office breakdown for September 8th to September 19th. Coming in first place was the Nun 2 with $32 million. That is compared to an opening of $52 million for the first Nun, so quite a drop. Yes, the Equalizer 3 with $12 million. My Big Fat Greek Wedding 3 with $10 million compared to $17 million for My Big Fat Greek Wedding 2, so also a drop. Mm-hmm. Jawan, an Indian film with $6 million. Barbie with $5.7 million, still hanging in. Blue Beetle, $3.8 million. Gran Turismo, $3.5 million. Oppenheimer, $3 million. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem with $2.7 million. And Bottoms rounding out the top 10 with 10, or sorry, 2 million. It'd be crazy if it got 10 million. Would have been nice, but yeah, only 2 million. Yep. And now we can do our box office predictions for September 15th to the 17th. Haunting in Venice is the premiering movie this weekend. Ryan, thoughts? Uh, Don't think it's going to be able to crack 20 million we had seen like the nun and equalizer they were impressive getting over 30 million um but yeah i don't think haunting menace will be able to match that nor get to even the 20 million range but it should break double digits i agree all righty so moving on to our main segment now california split directed by robert altman written by joseph walsh starring george siegel Elliot Gould, and Prentice, among others. So, Alex, you have chosen this film for us to talk about. So, just mention why you wanted to discuss this film, when you first came across it, what about it you know, makes it stand out so much to you. Go ahead and fill us in. Gotcha, gotcha. So, I think I watched it for the first time maybe two, three weeks ago. Um, and it was kind of on a whim almost. Like I remember I was just on Instagram and like, I don't know, I saw, I think it was like the Criterion channel, like account had posted, oh, catch California split before it leaves. And I was like, that's a great title for a movie, California split. I should watch this movie. And then I watched it and it's been like a really long time since I've like just really loved a movie so much, like on the first watch, like on the first viewing, um, now, I haven't seen, like, too many of Robert Altman's movies. Before this, the only one that I had seen was his Popeye film, which I also think is amazing, in my opinion. I think his Popeye movie's great. Um, but, yeah, I think it's just, I don't know. It's just a movie about two dudes just chilling out, drinking beer, smoking cigarettes, making money, losing money. And that just, I don't know. It resonates. It's great. It's just, I don't know, dudes being dudes. And... I love the naturalistic dialogue. I love the chemistry between the two characters. Obviously, like that's a big crutch for the movie. That's a big part of like what makes it work. Um, but I was actually doing a rewatch of it just to kind of refresh my memory. I didn't watch the whole movie. 
Um, but there's some of like the best moments or just some moments that just feel like improvised almost like on the spot, like between, um, yeah, the two characters. And so, yeah, I just thought it was a really, really cool movie and, uh, wanted to talk about it. Awesome. Yeah. Dylan, had you seen California split before this? I had never seen it before. And have you heard of it as one of the films in Oldman's uh, filmography? Yeah, I had heard of it because I know him and Elliot Gould had a lot of movies that they worked on together, like MASH and The Long Goodbye. And this was like one of them that was added in, but I didn't really know much about it. Gotcha. All right. And then your thoughts? I thought it was good. Robert Altman's style is not one that I'm the biggest fan of. Uh, but it like it works something like I really like Mash and I watched the long I watched part of the Long Goodbye, and this was I think the first movie he did the overlapping dialogue with using the eight track, so he it, it like it really shines through in this movie as like this is the start of that style for Robert Altman, and it's not one that I'm particularly fond of because it's a little hard for like moments to stand out. But like when I watched The Long Goodbye, it really worked on that because it's a detective and he's like just trying to make his way through like a downtown L.A. And so like getting that dialogue of L.A. through that sort of overlapping dialogue worked there. I don't know how great it was. All right here. But I just feel like my biggest issue with the movie was that the first hour of it is like two days where this where where George Siegel is meeting Elliot Gould and like the two the two women that he lives with and so like you don't really get a sense of how he like knows these knows these people he just like is sort of getting to know them through these two days and then it cuts to like a month later and he's like fully ingrained in their lives and just has like become a different person and it's just kind of a hard jump to get there so i feel like the actual scene to scene pacing of it doesn't quite work but I really like the performances. Like I think George Siegel's fantastic. I think Elliot Gould is killing it in this movie. So I feel like like the the naturalistic way that they're able to perform in the movie definitely shines. And then it like builds up to the end because the last thirty minutes is like fantastic where they're gambling in Reno. It's so good. Yeah. So I also am not that well versed with Altman. He's definitely yeah the long goodbye, Mash, Nashville. Um, all of them I have not seen. So this is sort of the big introduction to Altman and his style. So yeah, the like oh, overlapping dialogue element to it is very naturalistic approach. Um, would you say for like those other films, because this one is largely plotless, like as you said, it's just like it's vibes, it's two dudes having a friendship mm-hmm. and a gambling addiction. Mm-hmm. That's basically the crux of it. Um, mm-hmm. For those other films, are they more plot driven or are they similarly yeah, sure. like this? Okay, so like the long the goodbye has like a defined like it's a it's a murder mystery. It has a very defined plot, and you just kind of watch Elliot Gould not only go through his own motions as like a poor detective in L.A. just trying to buy cat food, but also like trying to solve this this murder mystery. I wish I had gotten a chance to finish it because I only got like an hour in. And then I had to I had to pause and go somewhere else. And then when I went to watch it again, it was it had gotten taken off the Criterion channel and I was really <laughs> mad. So I didn't That's get the tragedy. But it was really the part I saw was really great. And then MASH MASH isn't as heavy in like the naturalistic overlapping dialogue. It's kind of scripted heavy and it's a comedy, so it's uh, like a lot easier to get into. Like I love MASH. 
Gotcha. And then the other, I'm trying to think of any other Alpen films. I've seen Gosford Park. Mm-hmm. And that one is also, it's not very much overlapping dialogue. It's a lot of like heavy scripted moments, but it's just rich British people. And it's also a murder <laughs> mystery, but I just, I couldn't get into it that much. Gotcha. Maybe we got to check that one out, Alex. We're a fan mm-hmm. of the uh, the Brits. At least I guess so, this. yes. Exactly. So, um, interesting. And none of us have seen Nashville, which I would say is probably his, like, you know, considered I've always wanted to see Nashville. I've always wanted yeah. to see it. I've heard so many good things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. But, yeah, so sort of my introduction here, um, which fascinating, I guess, that this is a departure in terms of the plotless approach. But I do agree that, like, the performances, especially – like Elliot Gould is just so amazing. Oh, he's so, yeah, he's amazing. Like absurd. Um, I love that Elliot was, Gould. That was part of the, like you're talking about there of like the structure of it, like it having these two days back to back. And then we have this like time jump uh, where they're like really all integrated together. There's that portion in between there where Elliot Gould leaves, like his character just dips out to go mm-hmm. to Iwan or something. Um, and then, that absence, I think, was really felt because, I mean, yeah, as we said, it's like the friendship between them. And I do think, like, for character reasons, we would need to see them apart just so we can get a better sense of uh, George Siegel's character. But my question was, why didn't that come at the beginning where we would see him going about his life and then, I guess, dipping his toes into gambling as a way to get some excitement? And then once he latches onto uh elliot gould's character then we see him like fully dive in it it was interesting and unconventional which isn't necessarily a bad thing but like them starting out with like elliot gould you could have taken as the main character when since it's him walking around through that casino initially like looking at the video and then being annoyed by it like it's mainly about him i would say in that initial scene um and we don't really start to emphasize george siegel as the main character until a little later on so, yeah, I don't want to, like, knock it for doing something unusual, but I would say if part of the intention there of, like, having George Siegel's absence was to allow us to see the this change, or at least just, like, how much in trouble he is with Spark, like, owing him the money, um, then it felt like that could have been established initially by just letting us see him in his ordinary world. And then we get to see the excitement come in and then sort of the withdrawal once he leaves. Um, and then we see like the impact of that absence on George Siegel. I feel like that might've helped that a bit better, but again, it's like, what is the intention? And ultimately it did seem like a lot of it was just, again, these, the vibes of these guys hanging out and then gradually sinking into that addiction. Um, but even then at the start, he already had seemed like he was uh in the midst of it because he was like owing money to Sparker. He was already taking out these loans. So I was curious about what the timetable was for that character's addiction in the first place. Um, Cause yeah, Ellie Gould certainly heightened it, but it's not like he started it. Like he was already sort of going down that path, um, which is fascinating, but yeah, I would say their friendship was really well done. And I think that the whole like naturalistic, dialogue and performances helped that out um but yeah they're just like vibing having a good time consistently and so that was great to see it's also you don't see us too often but like having characters make each other laugh 
like in comedies, especially like everyone's always playing it straight. So the audience mm-hmm. doesn't laugh at the characters always just like keep into whatever the next thing is or hit the next punchline and they're not laughing along with it. But there's so many moments in this where Elliot Gould is trying to just get George Eagle to crack up and then he succeeds. And George Eagle has this like goofy laugh. It made me uh, laugh a couple of times. Some, like the bit of the, um, what was it exactly? It was after he had came back from Tijuana and he was. Oh, it was the, the, the one-armed piccolo player. There you go, yeah, where he was playing that. <laughs> he brings it down to his crotch and just has it uh, from one finger. And then, yeah, George Eagle just, like, busts up for, like, 15 seconds. We just see him, like, dying laughing at that. So that type of stuff, I think, really shined. Because that's the type of stuff that just, yeah, certainly nowadays uh, with studio films in general doesn't get showcased. So getting to see those moments of characters just trying to get each other to laugh and then we get to sit with that once one of them succeeds. I thought that part was great. Ryan, at some point in all of that, were you trying to ask a question? Was I? I thought you were asking a question about like what he thought about uh, Elliot Gould disappearing. Um, I don't know if I was. I think I was commenting on that. I think I was just tracing it back to your point that you brought up like the uh, how there was that structural element of two days and then they skip. And so I was going to say, yeah, I agree with that. Like middle section kind of sagging just because it interrupted the friendship between them. And because it was so charming. Alex, did you think it was advantageous to have Elliot's Gould disappear and sort of happen in the middle of the story, as opposed to seeing George Seagal alone at the beginning? I, I think that's an interesting um, point that you guys brought up because something I hadn't even considered, but I definitely agree that in like a traditional, like, you know, I guess, yeah, conventional plot structure, it would make a lot of sense to start with, you know, George Segal's character mm. before he gets into the gambling addiction, before he meets Elliot Gould. Um, and I don't know, now I've just been thinking about why they might have taken that approach as well. And I do think it kind of breaks up the movie in an awkward way. I definitely felt that when I watched it as well. Um, and I guess in a way it felt necessary, like Ryan said, to kind of show these two characters apart. Um, the only, I don't know, I don't even, I feel like maybe part of the intention was, I don't know, I guess I deviate from that conventional structure and you kind Mm -hmm. of like, like how does something like that unfold in a real life? You know what I mean? In the sense that like, well, you know, these two guys would have met already at you know, uh, like gambling together or something like that. And then mm-hmm. um, I also think, I don't know, I really just like the way their their friendship kind of unfolded, right? The begin, I mean, the opening scene, I think, is really, really great. It is. And just yeah. like all the like the conflict and the tension, and then he just gets like punched in the face, and Elliot Gould's character just is not. It's like the short film is like telling him what to do, and he's breaking like every rule, basically. Mm-hmm. And it all kind of just blows up at the very end. And the next thing you know, they're like dancing in the parking lot. Um, so I, I don't know. I guess maybe it, it may have something to do with that in that regard of the film. Just like trying to show this in a kind of a, you know, a, a realistic kind of way instead of something that feels a bit more bound to structure, I guess. Um, starting at the after point, right, with George Segal's character mm-hmm. and then peeling back those layers like, okay, this is why. He has this gambling addiction. This is kind of like, you know, this is a real problem at hand. So it kind of does take like a good minute to really settle into 
I guess, the plot of the film, which is George Segal owes this guy a lot of money, and he's going to make that money back, or else probably die, or get beat up really bad, at least. I don't know. Mm-hmm. A bit okay. ambiguous. Yeah. So, uh, do you think $20 on the table, you could name all seven dwarves? I, I was literally just thinking about that thing. Like, <laughs> I was because my girlfriend and I we went to Disney like a week ago, and we were in line for the Seven Dwarves ride. And I thought about that scene, and so I asked her. I asked her. I was like, "Can you name every character, every Seven Dwarves?" And I tried it. I couldn't. I couldn't. We could try it right now. I did. I could name Grumpy. Happy? Happy? One of them? Happy? No. I don't think this Doc. Is happy. Doc, Doc, there's Doc, there's Grumpy, there's Sleepy. Is one of them Sleepy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. I think this is as far as I got last time I did you this. Three. I don't. I got three of them. Yeah, I think I would have gotten like before seeing that and before thinking about it more. I think I would have gotten two, maybe three. I Bro, Sneezy, Dopey. Oh, Sneezy would not have been there. Dopey would have. I knew. Yeah, uh, I know Dopey. Sneezy. Dopey. Yeah. Um, uh, and then I would have probably said sleepy or something. Who are the last two? Guessing them, but they're forgettable yeah. guys. Who cares about them? <laughs> yeah, right. The forgotten yeah, dwarves. Snow White. Snow White's the last one. I don't know. She's the last two. Uh, let's look them yeah, up. Snow and White. Bashful. Happy oh, is one. You got happy it. is one. You're right. It okay. Is cool. 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 Doc Grumpy, Happy, Sleepy, Bashful, Sneezy, and Dopey. I think it's hilarious on the uh, Google page for the seven dwarves. All six of the dwarves are the animated characters. <laughs> and then Grumpy is just the, the live action. <laughs> and he looks pissed. He does, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty funny. But, That's all right. Very I think, there we go. I think so we Doc, would have all been out $20. No, for sure. I think Doc is kind of like the... He's kind of like the, the the one that throws you off because the other ones are kind of like the scribe. You're like a oh, moody, like yeah, grumpy, yeah, or maybe is. like an emotion. But he's Doc. Like, I don't think I got Doc the first time. Yeah. Maybe I did. I would never have. mentioned on the ride. I don't know. But yeah, I like that scene a lot. And then I think the ending scene is, is kind of surprisingly. It's, I don't know. I think it's very like it kind of builds up into uh like so what does it all mean really you know what yeah. i mean it feels like the 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 addiction is really about like i don't know the excitement of it maybe and then they kind of like we see them make like so much money and then he just like does not care at all and he kind of just walks away from that in that moment and Elliot Gould is like all right i'll see you later and then kind of just accepts that and i don't know i'm kind of interested in what you guys think about what that means for for these it, characters yeah i think it breaks the excitement for george siegel because elliot gould is so excited just to win the money like he isn't even playing any of the games like he's not actually mm-hmm. doing anything he's just standing around but he's still so excited to be making so much money and so george siegel to me he's like he's seeing that and he's seeing the success and he's thinking like i'm doing all of this and he's more excited than i am to be making this money like it's not about the excitement of gambling anymore it's just about trying to make money and this isn't the way to do it, like to put everything on the line. Like he sold his car, he sold his typewriter, he sold everything he had in order to have enough money to get into this game and make this money. Is it worth all of that? Is it worth that risk? Because the excitement isn't even why he's doing it anymore. He's doing it because he needs the money. So it's not even like, it's not even the point, you know, it's not even the point. Right. It just breaks the addiction for him. 
it's no longer fun. Interesting. Yeah, I feel like it certainly does end on a note of him realizing the hollowness of that gambling, like whatever excitement there was to gain from it. He's sort of no longer captured by it um, because of, yeah, just seeing that the rush is only temporary and it's not even that like worthwhile in the end. So yeah, he just sort of, which I think it's, it's open ended to whether or not he'll continue gambling. Um, But I think it's, he's definitely at least at this moment had a bit of clarity as to like, Oh, Mm -hmm. like this is, this is a pretty awful thing that I've gotten wrapped up in. And yeah, the like fun of it, the thrill of it, um, it's just not even, not even that powerful at this point. So, yeah, he succeeds in getting the money, but ultimately, he it sort of ends on a downcast note for him because it's just not that satisfying. Which maybe that could be, mm-hmm. it could be taken a couple of different ways. I think it's interesting Dylan's approach to it, but it also could be like, oh, I finally I achieved it. I successfully got all this money and it hasn't gone away. Like maybe the urge is still there and that's depressing to him even when he's achieved this and he's like, Oh, I'm still going to be wrapped up in this or it's, Oh, I finally got there. And on top of the mountain, the thrill isn't as great as I thought it would be. So that's a disappointing revelation. There's like a couple different ways you could take that. Um, mm-hmm. And none of them really sort of omit the possibility that he'll continue gambling sometime in the near future um yeah but it just means yeah at this particular instance he sort of is able to recognize how uh the folly of this addiction that he's got so yeah it was a fascinating way to sort of end that um which does sort of get despite all the like yeah them going around placing their bets and getting these wins and Elliot Gould again like the charm is up to 11 he it's like fun but it ultimately is like an empty endeavor at the end of the day. So I'd like that they, that Oldman was able to highlight that before closing it out. Yeah, definitely. I, I agree with you guys are saying, I really, I'm, I don't know. I, I, I think a lot about what that scene, especially it doesn't just mean for like George Seagal's character, but also what it means for their friendship. Because to me, at least the way I interpret it, I almost feel like that was like the last time they ever spoke or something like that. You know what I mean? like that departure because it's very like it's almost like they're coming from at that point they're in two completely different they're in the same world together obviously like they're those mm-hmm. kind of two worlds apart and brought together at that point in the movie but it's kind of like the difference is really subtle where you know elliot Gould's character is like you know obviously like very much still into it very much like that is everything about everything like that them winning all that money meant everything to him versus George Segal's character who kind of just feels so disconnected from it at that point. Um, so I felt like that was a very kind of, it was a really moving moment for me personally to see because you kind of grow to really, I, I guess, get attached to these two characters because of like how well they work off each other. And mm-hmm. like I said, Ilya Gould is like, he's amazing in this movie. Like, I love him so much. He's Fantastic. amazing. But, like, I after watching this movie, I watched the opening to the Long Goodbye. I I was going to say that earlier because you mentioned you had seen mm-hmm. the first hour. I definitely have to finish it. By the way, shout out Internet Archive because it's on there. Oh, but, snap. interesting. <laughs> uh, anyway, 
opening yeah the opening scene with him and just the cat is so funny i I, I love it it's like it's It's literally he's like he's like it's just him and the cat basically Mm -hmm. like there's like the women who like live in the apartment next to Mm -hmm. like next door or whatever and like the people in the grocery store but it's basically just like him i don't know just what he like walks and he's like smoking like in in the span of like 10 minutes he smoked like 20 cigarettes or something like i don't know it's really funny it's he's great he's great right. smoking and like bickering with his cat yeah the cat, the cat, the cat won't eat the food dude. i do the cat food it's bit. so good so funny i gotta yeah i definitely i think even after we finish recording this i'm gonna i'm gonna watch the rest of the movie because it's so uh, good it's yeah i love I need to finish yeah. it he's great he's great but yeah and back to california split um yeah, I, I, do you guys have any interpretation of what that means for the characters? Again, like I, I feel like, to me at least, interpretation is that like when he says he's going home, it's like that's them parting ways. Yeah, to me, done. it's like if if the thing that connected them was gambling, and he's giving up on gambling, then there's no reason for them to be friends. Like, mm-hmm. there's there's no desire to hang out with Elliot Gould's character if he's not going to gamble with him. So that just kind of ends the friendship there. Yeah, I agree. They're friendship is unhealthy in the sense that it's all sort of based around that like gambling thing so part of the attachment they probably have to each other is tied in with the thrill of the gambling so yeah if that goes away then their connection with each other would also disintegrate so yeah i agree with um that assessment but yeah i think it is again so fascinating that he's like walking away choose to walk away from this but you never know if that's like actually going to be the last time that he'll go in and do this. So either way, it's a good turning point that he's able to have a moment of clarity, but it allows us to sit there and wonder like, Oh, does their friendship ever reunite? Like, is there going to be a time when Elliot Gould goes to his house and like tries to get him to come out for a night on the town? And then is he going to be able to resist that? Like that could be a thing that happens and it's just not something we end up seeing in the film, but it, it would be believable for the characters and the way they've been set up. So mm-hmm. very fascinating. What's well, interesting. Yeah. It was interesting. You say, you mentioned like the aftermath movie is I just learned this last night, but there, it, there was a script written for a sequel okay. and it was written in 2021. Like by the, the same yeah, guy, by uh, the same, the same screenwriter. Joseph Walsh. Who, interesting. Yes, I believe so. He had written a sequel that would reunite their characters. But then unfortunately, rest in peace, George Chagall passed away. And so I believe, I'm pretty sure though, the script is, they just, he just put it online or something. Like, I think it's like, people can just read it. I haven't looked into that part of it, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I read somewhere that it's just like available to read online. So is there's- it, Is it know, called California Splits? That'd be a funny, or ca- be. California <laughs> to Split. I don't actually. I don't think the title has any like. It isn't. It isn't. It's not California Split. It's like something entirely different. I'm not cheating on. Yeah, it has released a reunion script between the two beloved lead characters. Um. Yeah, you can yeah. download the script online. It's called yeah. Lunch with Bill and Charlie. Interesting. Was that their names? Yeah. yeah. I'm gonna be so. I didn't even catch on to it. Like I, I don't know. I was so entranced in the in the movie. I didn't even catch their names. 
Yeah, we've just been saying the actors' names for <laughs> <laughs> the characters. Well, it's almost a thing where it's like the actors really make the characters. Like I couldn't imagine any other actor taking on these roles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, Bill, William, and Charlie. Right. Um, okay, I do remember William. Yes. So, uh, yeah, fascinating. California split. It's seventy pages. Yeah, Joseph Walsh made a post on Facebook announcing it, along with a five-minute video he did with Elliot Gould, and it got two likes and one comment. Don't no. say that. That's that is a horrible. Stop. Oh no, two and likes. It's one. It is one really long comment about how much they love the movie. I might go comment, so I'm the second comment. <laughs> <You should laughs> that do. means he'll probably he'll probably read it then, right? Maybe, Maybe he'll read it to you. Oh, I got a commission. He'll read you the I'll, script, yeah. I'll pay you one grand if you just do a little audio, personal audiobook. One grand, my God. I don't have that kind of money, so I hope it's not, I know, that's right. not his price. <laughs> yeah, no. I probably do don't it, know. He'll do it for, for 20 bucks so that he can gamble it away. Exactly. What are your well, guys' I mean, thoughts on gambling? I've never. Well, actually, I have. I do have a gambling story. So I was. Um, oh please. I was maybe. I was like eight, nine years old, and I was in. <laughs> I was. In, I was in. I was in Guatemala. Right? My family, my parents are in Guatemala. And we used to go like every summer and winter break. Now we don't usually. We'll go. To, we'll try to do one, but you know, school and whatnot. It's mm-hmm. tough now. But we used to go all the time, and I remember we went one year. And there were these kids, and they were all circled around, and they were playing cards, and they were, you know, gambling some money. I didn't have any money, so I went over to my mom, and I said, "Can I have some? Can I have some money?" She's like, "Are you going to gamble?" And I was like, "Of course I am." She gives yeah, me, she gives me like a dollar to put in, and I put the dollar in, and I sat down, and what I realized as they handed me the cards was that I don't know how to play whatever it is they're playing, and so of course I lose the money. And then they kicked me out and they kind of laughed at me a little bit for not having any money. And I was like, well, so that's my one gambling story. It's my really traumatic. I don't think I'll ever go back to that. Actually. Well, never gambles again. I, you know what? I was, I, I was, I was in the mentality that I would never gamble again, but then I watched this movie and now all I want to do is gamble oh, no. really bad. No, so. really gamble. It makes you I, as, as no. much of a movie it is against gambling. It kind of makes you want to gamble. Like it gives you the thrill. <laughs> Does it? I don't know. For me, it it made me want to go play cards, yeah, and bet money. But that's also so that's the thing with like gambling. That's one addiction. I'm like, okay, probably never gonna have to deal with that because I hate losing. I despise Mm. it. And so if I'm also losing, but then also losing money, which I hate doing too. I hate like spending money. So I'm like, that's just two big no's for me. So I'm like, gambling addictions are probably be good. But the other issue. Tied in with my hatred of losing is if I think I can win, I want to win. So I want to like keep pushing until I win. But because gambling is so luck based, I try and avoid because that's like, okay, that's not really in my control. But other things that are in my control, like sports or video games, things like that, where I do feel like I influence the outcome, I'll like really push until I can win and just be like, okay, I've I've won. So largely gambling, I feel like isn't going to be like an issue like i'm not worried about in addition to that but 
I haven't really I know, gambled man. yet. Like in an actual casino, I haven't done it in. Like we've done amateur like poker games. Like Dylan and I have done. When we when yeah. we played mm-hmm. poker with Mason and Mason was mopping the floor with us because he's the luckiest bastard alive. You you're the one who were <laughs> pushing to keep going because you wanted to make your money back, and yeah. nobody made their money back. Uh, we all well, yeah. I can't remember what the um. Well, because that's the thing is some people. Which is the luckiest bastard alive. Well, yeah, he's that's absurd. But some people, I can't remember if it was that one. One of the games we played, I definitely did get a good payday from that. It was like $20. But but from the, I did that. I can't remember the one that Mason was playing. Because no, I feel like I'd be like, at a certain point, I'm like, that's it. I'm not giving any more money to him. That's the other big thing is losing money to Mason of all people. No, oh, I know. Out. Mason, who, who's richer than all of us combined. So the, um, the thing with the, the little poker tables we would have is once, cause again, it was like low stakes, like low money. It was yeah. like $10 buy-in or something. The, um, yeah. some people like Spencer would, put more money in just to be able to keep <laughs> playing even though he's just like losing it well, wasn't really like well, trying to get the stuff back but he was enjoying was, it and i was like that I was could the never... difference the difference between you and him is that he loves losing he loves yeah. the feeling of losing because then when you lose a lot and you have the feeling of winning it just feels so good but he never mm. won it back <laughs> at least at that table that's why i'm like what are you doing he put so, in a lot of money yeah yeah i don't know the people that are able to and there are, that is true though. Some people get the thrill of like, oh, I'm so down in the hole and I need to get this back. Yeah, to I get me, it. that's just that's horrible. I'd be like, I'll put in no, more money. Yeah, not at all. Um, but yeah, so no one's been to Vegas or Reno. I have, but I've never played. I'm not a big casino guy. The, the mm-hmm. flashing lights, the cigarettes, it's just too showy, too mm-hmm. too. High stakes and intense. Everybody's taking it so damn seriously. And I hate mm-hmm. that. Yeah, I've never you been just, either. Just care so much. Just the streets of Guatemala. I mean, it's money. Why wouldn't you care? I, I guess. Just, I, don't, I don't know if I'm like, I don't know. I'll be honest. I don't really know to play mostly. I know play, I, I know. I know blackjack. I know how blackjack works. Mm-hmm. I don't know how like poker works. I've never, well, I've never learned how poker Well, no. I played poker before. Never mind. I just forgot. I have played poker with both of my friends similar, just like, you know, I don't even think we bet money. I think we just kind of are like playing just to like play or whatever, but I don't even remember to be honest too much. So I don't know. I feel like that's why I would never develop a gambling addiction. I feel like they would try to teach me the rules and I'd be like, well, never mind then. This is a little, this is a little too much for me to run. I could do the whole Uh, card flip. Yeah. I could see myself having a gambling addiction. <laughs> I I love I love betting on things. I think it's so much fun. I'll bet a dollar on anything, just about anything. You know this, right? You do do a lot of bets, yeah. I'll bet a dollar on fucking Many anything. times on the show, you're just like, oh, you want to bet for like whether or not. Like, come on, it's a dollar. Like, it's opening on. weekend. I just, yeah, but. A dollar, who cares? It's, it's just fun. It's I really owe Carlos five dollars right now. We were going downtown and he was going to wear a hat and we were teasing him for wearing a hat downtown. And I bet him that there was going to be no, at the first bar we went to, there wouldn't be more than four people wearing hats and there was five people wearing hats. So <laughs> I own $5 now. That's, pissed. That's funny. Well, maybe you can make another bet to get in the positive on him. Yeah. And then that just, starts I'll your spiral in, yeah. of the addiction. <laughs> you keep making these bets, Carlos and Lucy. I love it. I think it's so funny. 
That's fascinating. It's a dollar. It's a dollar. You don't like casinos, but you love betting. I love betting. I could probably do sport if I like research sports. I could probably do sports betting. Like I think that'd probably be more fun than. Uh, yeah, that's also probably a, a dangerous one. That one I would also stay away from because yeah, it's just way too out of control. But I've seen like my friends uh, have done some of that, and it was crazy. I forget what the game was exactly, but you have to like there's certain things of like oh a certain player has to make over however yeah, many yeah. hundreds like passing yards or running yeah. yards yeah things like that and there were five of them and he had all of them except one and the final one came down to like the last play of the game i think it was <laughs> it was for someone to yeah get like a certain amount of rushing yards and it was like a fourth down and it was weird but um it happened so like the thing that he needed to happen in the final play of the game with three seconds left happened and it was wild a wild experience to see that happen and so how much did he I was make? like dang that rush would be good it was like a couple hundred dollars um yeah. so had it he played good. at like way more he would have gotten <laughs> so much money but i was like was i good. could see the danger in that because he was talking he was like oh yeah this is great and i was like uh-oh <laughs> like being able to get that lucky like especially like the last play of the game and it all works out that was insane but also the app was like bugging out for like an hour to determine whether or not like he had successfully hit that bitch benchmark to get the money. But thankfully it did finally go through, but I was like, dang, that's, that's pretty, pretty intense. It's also the, um, <laughs> with stocks. And that's another, uh, rough one. Oh, like yeah, back in the pandemic when everything tanked, I definitely did, uh, throw some money in there. And I <laughs> had also felt, I was like, uh Oh, when it gets like put into those data sets, like you can see the graph of like your money going up. Each day, I'm like, it's <laughs> not good because that's like a continuous dopamine hit, and it's not as like at least with gambling at a poker table, or whatever. It's like a quick, like you get in and you're there for a couple hours, and then you determine okay whether you won or lost, and then you go home. But with that, your money's just like sitting in there, and you can see it going up, and it takes a little dip, and it goes up, and all this, this, and that. And so, thankfully, that was able to to pause. I got some good money from GameStop. And then I was like, that's it. All right, I'm going to take my win. And then enough is enough. So thankfully, yeah, I haven't uh, been able to slip into that at I think all. What we've, which I'm I think what we learned today is that gambling feels good. It feels yeah. really good. <laughs> it feels really it feels good. So no, it's good. bad. It's if destructive. Don't it's do it. It's incredible. Oh, if my God. If you're watching this, you should definitely gamble. No. Yes. If you bet on sports, you know how much more interesting that sport becomes? You care so much more. Oh, yeah, there's one thing to like. It's very intense. Yeah, there's one thing to like care about a team mm. and want your team to win. It's in the whole other game when you're putting money on them. Like you care so much more. It's so much more fun. I'll bet money on the Oscars. You remember that every year? <laughs> oh, yeah. that's crazy. I always I try to get an Oscar pool that. going, and nobody ever wants to put in money. <laughs> I didn't even. It's ridiculous. I remember one time I was like. I was also like nine. I don't know. I was a young gambling addict. It's a I big year for you and gambling. I his, maybe I was 10. I don't know. Maybe I took a little bit of a break at hiatus. But I, I yeah. went to a Super Bowl party and I didn't, I don't watch football. And I, I didn't watch football at the time. I still don't. Mm-hmm. And they were, they were placing bets. All the kids were. And so I was like, all right. I had some money. I made like two bets and I just picked, they were just like write down anything. And I was like, all right, cool. And I wrote one that one team would win and one of the other team would win. And I wrote down the points or whatever. I didn't even know how the points worked. I was just like, well, they'll get this money, I think. And the next day at school, I lost, by the way. But the <laughs> next day at school, 
my friend told me that had they not called the safety, I would have won. Damn. And I, I, I said, I don't know what that means. And to this day, I don't know what, I don't know how that would have affected me winning or not. But all I know is that I was just one, I was one safety away from winning. I don't know how much money was in that pool, to be honest, but that's really funny. So I kind of got the opposite effect. At the last second, I actually got robbed of yeah. my winnings. So Tragic. Tragic yeah. indeed. I remember being a kid and going to my grandpa's house, which is my dad's side of the family. And after like we had dinner, we would break out like a deck of cards and a bunch of poker chips. It would be me and my dad and my grandpa and my uncle Carl and then like a bunch of family friends. And we'd sit around the table and we'd gamble for like three hours and and whatever money i made at christmas like like the cash gifts i received from from uncles and aunts and my grandparents would go on that table and i would lose it (laughs) (laughs) dang but i learned how to play poker and now i love it god we gotta do another poker night right it's been too long (laughs) i feel the itch i feel the itch after watching this movie oh no it's uh yeah, maybe I mean, maybe a bit the it. wrong movie. Maybe a bit the wrong movie. <laughs> no, I know you're about watch. to send them spiraling to addiction. This um, is what I need. I need the money. I mean, yeah, I'll be down, and then one day, eventually, we can definitely hit up uh, a casino. That's, I mean, maybe well, I'm not, going to Vegas in like two weeks. Uh oh, that's the one barrier <laughs> to your addiction is that you don't like casinos. But the second it clicks, like if you start liking the casino vibe. Yeah, dude, if I go to Vegas in two weeks and I'm starting deal. to feel it, <laughs> I start putting money on tables, dude, oh, it's, it's no. over. We're only going to be there for like four hours, dude. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? I go, guys, forget the Zion trip. Let's just cancel it. Let's just stay in Vegas for the four days and let's just <laughs> let's just gamble our money away. Good Lord. But yeah. So hopefully, uh, California split for most people will be a cautionary tale. Mm-hmm. For some folks, who knows? Maybe it does spark that itch to go into it. <laughs> but the horse racing, I mean, we talked about the sports oh. betting, but the horse races. I wouldn't bet on that. Betting I, don't on know, that I don't know Not shit about that. horses. Yeah, I don't know. No. I was That part did actually intrigue me in the movie because I didn't know how that worked. And I guess right. it has nothing to do with like the you're betting on like the actual like rider or something or it's like yeah, a mix of the rider it usually goes the by horse. the horse's name they're like the more famous person i only know what right. i know from a uh, shark tail <laughs> oh i don't even remember that part from shark tail it's a funny scene when they're all there <laughs> bending on the seahorses but yeah <laughs> the uh i don't think anyone knows how the horse races work because i mean it's like everyone has i guess it's the same as like sports betting too you just you see the stats and then you're going to hunch but Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sort of. That's thing. how it seemed and in the movie. Exactly. Yeah. Was just um, you, like, yeah, don't bet on this one. She was just like, yeah, this. different horses have different odds, just like any sports betting, you know. Exactly. So you'll make more money if you bet on this one horse and they win than you would on this other horse. Mm-hmm. The other horse is more likely to win. Exactly. Like okay, I understand. Yeah, betting odds themselves; those are like very odd things. But yeah, that's how that that goes. The less likely option you choose that you could get a bigger payout but more risk i always think it's really funny to see the betting odds for oscars because you'll just see like like 30 actors listed under best actor and then they each have odds next to the name to see who's most likely to win this award and it's so funny it is pretty funny yeah 
gold derby or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. All right. Any other thoughts on California split? Nah, that's about it. Yeah, we covered it yet. Yeah. I just want to give a shout out of, I mean, they do it with the main characters too, but like the non-judgmental treatment of Barbara and Susan, like the two prostitutes that Charlie's living with, um, which I thought was an interesting way they sort of unveiled slowly that information. Because initially you think like, oh, it's just Charlie and his wife or his girlfriend, but yeah, you soon mm-hmm. realize that's not the case. And the same with like Susan coming in, it's almost like that dynamic of she I had this like boy she was in love with that didn't return uh those feelings and so they're having to console her as if she's like this uh like a teenage girl going through troubles like their teenage daughter but the dynamic is very different than that as we Mm -hmm. soon realize um so i think just that slow rollout of the information and that uh the way that they had approached it with a more traditional thing of like oh this guy and then his wife and then daughter but completely different sort of uh living situation um which fits with the rest of this sort of this film and how naturalistic it is but uh unconventional it is so seeing this like odd assortment of these characters mm-hmm. and then there uh the treatment of helen uh the transgender character which i knew i was like this is 1974 it was 50 years ago i was like what are we about to do here but i thought it was like largely very respectable of helen like the way they came in and they were trying to get rid of her to go hang out with uh the girls just by themselves um but the way they did it wasn't like overly mean like it was there was comedy in there but it wasn't at the expense of helen so i was surprised that for how old of a film this was that Mm -hmm. it wasn't like demeaning or vicious to the women characters or transgender characters so that makes me more fascinated to Altman, like even just from the performances and the the way that the characters were constructed for Charlie and William. Like it definitely seems like he cares about his characters a lot and doesn't want to, like he'll throw them in bad situations, but he's like always empathizing with them and not judging them harshly or making them out to be like terrible. He's just showing like these are how humans operate and there can be bad situations and like good situations they have, but like here's how it is. Um, so that approach he took in this film, I'm interested to see those other films um, and especially Nashville to see like with that huge cast of characters that is there, how he treats all of them and makes them feel like real fleshed out three dimensional people that have flaws, but he's always coming to them with like they're human and we're just showing the multi, the multifaceted sides of that. So, yeah. All right. So how many, Barbara's out of five. I'm going to give it a three and a half. I think, um, I think I gave it a four and a half. Gotcha. I'm giving it a three out of five Barbara's. But yeah, it was, uh, I love that we were able to see this film. I don't know if, even if we did our Altman director analysis, which at some point we'll do, um in the far future but i don't know if this would have made the cut for that so mm-hmm. it's great that we had an opportunity to see it so thank you alex for recommending yeah. it to us um yeah of course of course thank you guys for having me appreciate you guys bringing me on the show i had a lot of, of fun course. great talking with you guys about this movie 
Great talking indeed. Indeed. And that's all the time we have. If you'd like to give your thoughts on the show, you can email us at theboxofficeshowpod at gmail.com. Our main title theme for the show is Sundown by Joseph McDade. If you like the show, please give us five stars on whatever podcast app you're listening to, and be sure to tune in next week. Have a great rest of your day. One thing before we close out. Snap. Do you all remember when the one at the horse racing thing, when he had told the girl, the woman to not pick this horse, and then he picked that horse, and it was the winner horse? Um, and then she's, like, throwing things down the escalators at them? Yeah. Dude, the funniest thing in this film... <laughs> is when he tries to throw the purse, the purse back, back and he oh, yes. <laughs> and yes. he fails and then the noise he makes when he, he like fails to throw it and he looks at it like falling in front of him he goes like you want your goddamn purse <laughs> like he just made some weird sound witnessing the purse like falling right in front of him it was so funny i replayed yeah. it like two times just to and see then the that. woman goes you can't even throw <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that was so good i yeah I just, I, that was when i was rewatching it for the for the pod i um i stopped actually after that scene that was a lot of time to see but that part i don't i thought it was so i felt like she literally like like i felt like he was supposed to throw like actually throw it and he like yeah. actually fumbled and they just had to like yeah it's like it that. sounded so real like that sound of him yeah. going <laughs> and then she's like you can't even throw it was so, so good funny. that was great. very good all right have a great rest of your day